Let's turn in God's Word tonight to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Going to read verses 1 through 24 tonight, 1 through 24, although our point of reading this text is to come back to verses 16, 17, and 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father, who is in secret. Your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's bow in prayer again. Heavenly Father, as we come to this portion of our service where we hear the word proclaimed, we pray, Father, that it would fall in receptive hearts, Father, that it would uh, change the way we live, that, Father, as we leave this place, we would be more and more transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, we pray especially for those among us today who may not know Christ as Lord and Savior, that, Father, today would be the very day that your spirit awakens their hearts. And Father, they too would see the beauty of Christ and behold his glory. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. First of all, just a very quick definition as we deal with the subject of fasting. Fasting is the voluntary withholding of food and drink for a period of time. That's what, that's what this meant when Jesus said, when you fast. He's, he, he means by that fast, that practice, whereby individuals voluntarily, for a period of time, withheld from themselves food and drink. As we deal with this subject of our walk with God, Walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Perhaps one of the things that we have not, particularly as a Reformed community, been very good at is fasting. And yet, I believe that it is the Spirit's desire to lead us there. Now before you start with the sticks and stones, let's go to our sermon outline and let's reflect upon a couple of things. First of all, what biblical fasting isn't. You really have to insert that word, what biblical fasting isn't. Because each of these would be true in the world. They're, they're, these things that I'm going to list for you are practiced by the world and it would be considered or talked about as fasting. But it's not biblical fasting. So biblical fasting isn't a diet plan. We're not going to talk about, you know, the, the meat diet, the protein diet. The, fasting isn't dieting. The purpose is not to lose weight. That's not the idea. Some of you, I can tell have been doing very good on that. I'm seeing less and less of you, and I know you're, you're working hard at it, and you're doing well. But that's not fasting. That's not biblical fasting. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Hey, when you go on a diet, don't look gloomy like the hypocrite. It's got nothing to do with dieting. It's got nothing to do with weight loss. So, first of all, set that aside. This isn't the Holy Spirit leading you to a diet plan. That's not what's happening. Secondly, it is not penance. This is not something we do to atone for some sin that we have committed. I can very well imagine 
that perhaps some of you have been in that circumstance. I know it happens. You go to the confessional. You did when, when you were young. You went to the confessional and you confessed, Father, I, you know, I, I splurged. I ate six candy bars and I really shouldn't have done it. And the father says, well, bless you, my child. Why don't you stop eating candy bars for a week? Just fast from them. Well, that's penance. That's somehow making up for. And that's not what, what fasting is about. It's not, oh man, I ate so much over the weekend. Man, so much rich food. You know what? For the next three days, I'm not going to eat any sweets. Well, that may be a good idea, but that isn't biblical fasting. So let's put that one to the side. Nor is fasting a badge. That's what Jesus is condemning here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. That was the practice that was going on by the religious leaders of Jesus' day. That the fast was done in order to call attention not to the fast, not to the reason for the fast, but the person who was engaged in the fast. It's a sort of, look at me, I'm fasting. You're going to ask me why my face is so contorted. And I'll tell you because I have taken a pledge to fast. And then you'll think, oh, what a holy individual you are. Man, you fast. Man, I never even thought of fasting. Wow, you must, you must really be a holy person because you fast. In fact, Jesus goes on in this text to say this should all be done in secret. Nobody should even know if you're fasting or not. This should not be a public thing. No other person should know if you are engaged in fasting or not. That's the extent to which Jesus says, this is not some sort of badge. This is not some sort of pin we wear in order to get the praise of individuals. Fourthly. Biblical fasting isn't flippant. You know, we're uh, part of in my head as far as planning out sermons and, and why we're coming to this one at this particular juncture is because I, uh, I saw an ad for fish fries. And it reminded me, oh, that's right, we're coming to Lent. And there'll be all sorts of people making very flippant statements. Uh, I'm not going to eat any candy that's wrapped in a red wrapper. It's flippant. It's meaningless. It doesn't mean a thing. It's not really taking any thought. It's, it's not really looking at it and saying, there is to be a purpose behind that which I am doing. It's just, it, it's just a, oh, I'll just say something. i got to say something. Everybody's forcing me into saying something. Okay, we're at work, and they're all looking at me like, what are you giving up for Lent? And, oh, I'll come up with something. Biblical fasting is not flippant in that regard. Nor is it a season. I had just mentioned Lent. There is nothing in Scripture that would indicate at all that there is some sort of timetable. That every year at such and such a time, we are to fast. 
In fact, one of the things you find in Scripture is how voluntary fasting actually is and how unregulated the practice of fasting it is. Unlike the other disciplines that we have been looking at, Scripture is pretty pointed about reading the Bible. Scripture is very pointed about prayer. Scripture is very pointed about meditating. And although Scripture encourages us to fast, it doesn't set out some, some timetable by which it must occur. So we don't engage. And, and this is not at all some sort of, well, it's Lent and Pastor Bob's preaching on fasting. Must be there's a tie-in and maybe I should fast now that it's Lent. No. The exact opposite is true. Because so many practice it as a season, it would be a good time not to engage in it. Unless one is led by the Spirit to do so. Nor is biblical fasting manipulation. Biblical fasting is not a hunger strike. It's not a prisoner sitting in a jail cell demanding better food from the food service people and therefore he is not going to eat. He's going to sit there and call all sorts of attention to himself until the food service people are changed and they get a better quality of food in the prison. This is not manipulation. It's not trying to manipulate other people and it's not trying to manipulate God. God, look what I'm doing. See me? I'm fasting. Therefore, God, when I pray, you really ought to be paying attention to what I'm praying about. After all, God, I'm fasting. Biblical fasting is not manipulation. So I've run through those things rather quickly because I didn't want to overdo that. But, but I think it's necessary to set that. Because I think oftentimes, at, at least my experience within the Reformed community has been, that's exactly what we think it is. Therefore, we don't do it. Because of the things I just listed, which it isn't, we don't do it because we don't want to do those things. And in so doing, we miss what the Bible actually teaches us. So the first, second thing I want to deal with is what is biblical fasting? What is it? Well, okay, not, not the voluntary withholding for a period of time of food and drink, okay? But, but what exactly does biblical fasting look like? And the first thing I think it is necessary to do is to tell you it is biblical. The idea of fasting is not a Roman Catholic idea. It is a biblical idea. It is God's idea. It is taught to us from the pages of Scripture. As God teaches us that we are to read His Word, that we are to meditate on His Word, that we are to pray, God teaches as well the practice of fasting. Now, let's just do a quick little journey. Go with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34.
You need to find verse 28. But we'll back up and, and start at verse 27. So this is the second, with Exodus 38, or 34, excuse me, Exodus 34, Moses is receiving the law for the second time. He's been up, he come down, he broke them, God said, come back up again, he's just gotten the second set. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. So what is that? What was Moses doing on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights? He's fasting. He's going to be in the presence of God. He is with the presence of God. He fasts. He ate no bread, drank no water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. It's something Moses practiced. This is something Moses did. It's not Pope Gregory somewhere, someday, declaring, thou shalt fast. No, it's biblical. Let's go to another passage. Nehemiah chapter 1. Ladies in the ladies' Bible study have been studying Nehemiah, been going through it. Let me remind you of where it began. Chapter 1, verse 4. Nehemiah has just received word that the People in exile are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, verse 4, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued, what? Fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah fasted. He didn't do it by command. He didn't do it by edict. He did it voluntarily on his own out of the circumstances that are weighing upon him at the time. He fasted. Let's go to the book of Joel. Book of Joel. Chapter 2. Verse 12, Joel has just prophesied about the coming day of the Lord, the Lord coming in judgment. What are you to do about it? Verse 12, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with 
what? Fasting with weeping and with mourning. How did the Lord want them to come back? To come back to me with fasting. That's the Lord's command. See, this is a biblical idea. Go back to Matthew chapter 6, our, our scripture text. Notice the way in which Jesus phrases this. We tend to look at the negative, right? Don't do this. Don't, don't be looking like you're fasting. But look at the way the text starts. Look at the way verse 16 begins. And when you fast, what is he saying? He's expecting it. He expects you're going to fast. Okay, when you fast, when you engage in this practice, what? Well, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't wear it all over your face. Instead, verse 17, no, but when you fast, when you do this, when you engage in this, when you practice this, is Jesus giving us some indication, fasting is horrible and no Christian should do it. No. In fact, Jesus is giving us permission. Jesus is expecting it. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others. That your fasting, that which you are engaged in, so it's biblical. The surprising thing, my friends, is that it's also reformed. Let me read you a few quotes. John Calvin. Now if there's somebody who, who's, who's, who's going to tell us straight, if fasting is some leftover Catholicism that we need to root out of our churches and root out of our lives, I don't think Calvin would mince words. I think Calvin would be very straight and pointed. But listen to what he writes. A holy and lawful fast has three ends in view. We use it either to mortify and subdue the flesh that it may not be wanton, or to prepare the better for prayer and holy meditation, or to give evidence of humbling ourselves before God when we would confess our guilt before Him. There are holy and lawful fasts that we can engage in. John Calvin. I have four or five more quotes by him, but we'll, we'll let that suffice. John Knox, if Calvin was going to nail fasting as Catholicism, then Knox would have used a grenade on it and said, we need to get this thing out of here. John Knox, to this private fasting, which standeth chiefly in a temperate diet, and in 
empowering further of our secret thoughts and necessities before God can be prescribed no certain rule, certain time, or certain ceremony. But as the causes and occasions why that exercise is used are diverse. Yea, so diverse that seldom it is that many at once are moved with one cause. To this fasting, we have been faithfully and earnestly exhorted by our preachers as oft as the scriptures, when they entreat us, offered unto them occasion to fast. It doesn't sound like John Knox is saying this is something we should not engage in. John Bunyan, perhaps we might argue, reformed or not. Many more examples of this kind might be produced out of the Old Testament. But these may suffice to show that fasting was a duty often practiced by the people of God and by holy men under the law of Moses. And the gospel recommends it from the beginning to the end by the examples of Christ and John the Baptist, of Peter and Paul and the rest of the apostles, as well as by their counsel and exhortations. Nothing is more frequently inculculated than this duty of fasting throughout the writings of the New Testament. And without all doubt, it is now as requisite as it ever was. Since we are liable to the same infirmities, exposed to the same temptations, and beset with the same dangers as the former Christians were, against all which evil fasting is the proper remedy. Jonathan Edwards, Puritan. Under certain difficulties, or when in great need of, or great longings after, any particular mercy for yourself or others, set apart a day of, for secret prayer and fasting by yourself alone. And let the day be sent, spent not only in petitions for the mercies you desire, but in searching your heart and in looking over your past life and confessing your sins before God. Not as it won't be done in public prayer, but by a very particular rehearsal before God of the sins of your past life from your childhood heretofore, before and after conversion. Good time to pray and fast. Matthew Henry. Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting are three great Christian duties. The three foundations of the law, say the Arabians. By them we do homage and service to God with our three principal interests. By prayer with our souls, by fasting with our bodies, and by almsgiving with our estates. Fasting and prayer are proper means for the bringing down of Satan's power against us. Fasting is not only biblical. Fasting is reformed. And it's not only reformed, it's confessional. Take your red Trinity hymnals. Find the section on the Westminster Confession of Faith. Turn to chapter 21. The Westminster Confession of Faith. 
chapter 21 of religious worship and the Sabbath day. Go down to section 5. It's page 860 if you're struggling to find it. The reading of the scriptures with godly fear, the sound preaching and conscionable hearing of the word in obedience unto God with understanding, faith, reverence, singing of psalms with grace in the heart and also the due administration and worthy receiving of the sacraments instituted by Christ are all parts of the ordinary religious worship of God. Besides, religious oath, vows, solemn fastings, and thanksgivings upon special occasions, which are in their several times and seasons to be used in a holy and religious manner. The writers of the Westminster Confession Look at fasting and say, this is a holy thing for us to be doing. Well, the question is, how often are we doing so? Well, that sort of brings us back to Matthew chapter 6, doesn't it? It, it brings us to the difficulty. Now, we could, we could go one of two ways. We can either say... We are so observant of Matthew chapter 6, verses 16, 17, and 18. That all of us, on regular basis, are fasting. But nobody knows about it because we are so mindful of Matthew chapter 6. Now that might, that might be one way to go. My guess is, however, knowing my own heart, knowing my own life, that probably it is more likely that we have been operating under fasting. Eh, it's just too Roman Catholic-ish. I don't think there's any value in fasting. I don't think that's really important. I don't really think that's something to engage in. Uh, well, maybe once in a while, but on, maybe on a rare occasion, but certainly not on any sort of regular basis. And yet what keeps coming back, isn't it, is God's word saying, no, this is something that is valuable. This is something that is beneficial to you. This is something that is helpful to you in your walk with me. Remember that passage of Ezekiel chapter or of Exodus chapter 34? Moses up on the mountain, 40 days, 40 nights, no food, close with God. You might expect day 41, the guy comes down and man, he's a mess. Do you know what the next section of, e of Exodus 34 is? The shining face of Moses, because he has been in the presence of God. You know, we, we've been dealing with this thing with the struggle of the flesh and the spirit. And it just kind of rattles in my mind 
we struggle, we struggle, we struggle. And, and when I come back to Scripture, when I come back to these Reformed pastors, it seems to be that one of the tie-ins here is that perhaps one of the reasons we are struggling is because we are not fasting. We are not taking that which the Spirit wants to use in this battle against our flesh and arming ourselves with it and making use of it so that we can do that which we sang. Christian, up and smite them. Christian, watch and pray and fast. So let me place before you four what seem to be, I, I would say, very biblical reasons that you might consider fasting. Four biblical purposes. One, it's a reminder. I think of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Maybe there's a point or a purpose of, of setting aside voluntarily for a period of time, eating and drinking, that things that are in and of themselves good, it's not that those things are evil, in and of themselves good, in order that I can be reminded that what I really need to be doing is not hungering and thirsting to satisfy my belly, but I need to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And maybe a few growls in my gut will remind me of that which is to be of greater importance. The glory of God. Living a life of righteousness. If I am never hungering and I'm never thirsting, how, how does that passage become meaningful to me? Maybe voluntarily fasting will remind me, will just serve as a reminder of being in the presence of God. Secondly, another what would seem to be biblical purpose of, of fasting is for repentance. Turn to the book of Jonah. Remember, remember the story? Remember how it goes? Right? Jonah gets spit up. You know, first of all, he takes off, and then the fish swallows him, and then spits him up, and then Jonah finally goes... Right? Preaches. Very short sermon. Jonah 3, 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. 
Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we, they will not, we will not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would bring. You turn to Psalm 35, and you have, in a sense, the same idea, where, where the idea is that idea of fasting in order to hone in on repentance, in order to focus in. See, it's, it's not fasting for the sake of fasting. It's fasting with a purpose. Either to be reminded of my need to focus more upon God, my, my need to, to live a more righteous life, to focus in on my sin. To, to really be thinking about that. And repenting of it. And turning from it. And maybe a few stomach growls now and then will remind me as to why it is that my stomach is growling. Because I am seeking God. Thirdly, in the midst of struggle, turn to Isaiah chapter 58. This is another text I could have used earlier to just show that it is biblical. But go to Isaiah chapter 58. Go down to verse 6. Is this not the fast that I choose? The Lord is speaking. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And I looked up several commentators. And, and most of the commentators are focusing in and saying that, that what the Lord seems to be saying is that he desires a fast not so you can continue to sin. That's verses 4 and 5 above. But that he desires a fast so that you can break the grip that the flesh has on you. Now, obviously, by my not eating or drinking, that doesn't cancel out sin, nor does it break sin. But it appears that the Lord sees this. The Lord sees my withholding myself of food and drink in my serious desire to overcome the flesh as something that God sees and hears and responds to. 
See, maybe you've been dealing with, with a particular sin of the flesh and you've been reading Scripture faithfully. Right. It's what we must do. Pray. Right. We must do. You might even been engaged in meditating. Right. What we must do. But maybe the Lord's waiting for the fast. See, this isn't something the church requires. This isn't something the church orders. This is something that you, in and of yourself, have to come to a decision regarding. Is this something that is lacking in my life that the Spirit may be desiring to use to assist me in walking closer to God? There is a fourth. The book of Acts includes this on several occasions. One is Acts chapter 13, 2 and 3. The other is Acts chapter 14, verse 23. On both occasions, when the church is looking for guidance, when the church is looking at a decision, when the church is looking at something and saying, you know, we need to be praying about this, but what's interesting in both of those passages is that they pray and fast. And the Holy Spirit comes, speaks, leads them, guides them, directs them. Maybe another time in which fasting becomes an important element of our Christian walk is our times when we're looking for guidance direction that we fast. So that's what I got for you on this, except for one other thing. Let me just posit the thought that maybe it's not food. It was here. There's relatively little else that fasting could have involved in those days. But maybe fasting isn't always just food. Maybe fasting involves television. Maybe fasting involves music. Maybe fasting involves the internet or Facebook. Maybe fasting just involves shutting off the phone for a while. Maybe fasting is a sports fasting. Maybe fasting is a shopping fast. Perhaps there are things, good things, that we engage ourselves in but they so captivate us, they so take over our time, they so take over our processes, they so take over our life, that to set them aside for a period of time, that we may focus on our relationship with God, setting them aside for a period of time that, that we may go through a time of repentance, setting them aside for a period of time so that we might in a more concerted effort, deal with perhaps a particular sin that's gripping our life. 
or setting them aside for a period of time as we look for guidance from the Lord in prayer. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's something else. But fasting is indeed a means by which we can keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. This is a a convicting word. It's perhaps a relatively new word for many of us. It's a new concept, new idea. Perhaps we're already just kind of backing away from it. Lord, help us to not back away from something that is included in your word that is considered good and right. May we use it properly. May we not misuse it. May we not use it, Father, to the detriment of our own bodies. But may we use it, Father, in God-glorifying ways as we seek to walk closer with our Lord. In Christ's name, amen.